0: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Scott Steffin Podcast. Um, Thanks for joining us on this beautiful morning. I know Thanksgiving is just around the corner, and hopefully, if you're like me, uh, you're probably just getting sick of seeing all the Christmas stuff in stores and even the Christmas music being played uh, before Thanksgiving, because for me, I like to... Thanksgiving's like my Super Bowl, so obviously, I hate uh, getting into Christmas before Christmas actually begins. Uh, but I don't know if my co-host feels the same way. Michael, what about you? Um, do you well, I have a
1: question to kind of counter that. Do you okay. think, so do you think that um, as we've gotten older, do you think it's that we've just come to expect things are happening faster? And what I mean by that is that, like, uh, I've seen a lot of, like, social media posts and memes about, you know, Stop getting your your Christmas decorations out after Halloween because Thanksgiving hasn't happened yet. And I guess my follow up question to that is: Do you think that that's always happened, or is it just this year? Because, like, I'm looking at like, you know, you go to the store in July, right? Fourth of July stuffs out, but then you know, uh, you you got back to school stuff right after the Fourth of July, and then you've got Labor Day, and then you've got you know, Halloween and things, you know, and so on and so forth. But like, I think maybe we w- weren't just mindful of the fact that it was actually happening. Does well, that make sense? I
0: mean, yeah. And I think, I think in some ways, I think it's going quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, my times of working at Target and I worked on the flow team. So I was always in the back loading pallets off the truck and then pushing them out into the stores and putting them on the shelves. So it wouldn't be surprising that in July when we're getting all the stuff for, back to school, which, you know, occasionally it's like, oh, a Christmas tree comes down the line in July and we just put it in storage because it's like, they're just slowly building up that, that reservoir of Christmasy things. But really by the time, you know, I felt like at least probably maybe the week before Thanksgiving was really when we started, okay, now we're starting to push, a lot of stuff out or a lot of product out, like maybe a couple of weeks before November. But I always felt like even after Halloween, that week after Halloween was still pretty. We're building our reserves. Our our other teams just now taking down all the Halloween decorations, like right on the 31st or even on November 1st. we're taking everything down, switching everything out, starting to put Christmas stuff up. Um and now I feel like you're not even at Halloween yet and already candy's at like 70% discount. Costumes are at 70% discount before we'd have to wait till after Halloween to get the good discounted stuff on costumes. And now they're already discounting them before because they really want to push out all the Christmas stuff. And that's something that I think it's, it's just going quicker because I think in a lot of ways, and maybe this year, just because of, the pandemic and not a lot of people going out and a lot of people doing more online stuff or just kind of putting up what they have. It's like, okay, now this is kind of, I'd say probably the first year where things are kind of getting back to some sense of normalcy, um, you know, after COVID that it's like, okay, let's really push Christmas product because people want to buy, 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 buy.
1: Um, we, we went to Menards and I think like we go to Menards a lot because we're, we, we're homeowners and there's always a project to work on, but like back, there's really nice, nice Menards, um, close to our house. And so we went, um, I think it was back in August and they had been putting Christmas stuff out. And I asked one of the guys at the store, I'm like, Christmas stuff already. He's like, yeah, we have it all year round. It's just upstairs. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> so, yeah. um, yeah, I, I, I would agree with that sentiment. I, I think that, you know. Uh, maybe this year post, you know, 2021 and 2020, like this is going to be the first year where people are really just, I don't know, people are excited. And maybe they just want to promote things quicker and more efficiently and try to, you know, try to make up for the past couple of years. I don't know.
0: Yeah. I don't know either. Uh, but yeah. So, yeah. So I, I didn't think I were going to start our show talking about Christmas. <laughs> before that Well, but we, we did <laughs>
1: It's the holidays,
0: right?
1: Next week's Thanksgiving. So
0: yes, absolutely. Um, but yeah, but um, I wanted to kind of share. I know we always do do a segment where we kind of share, like either something that's going on with us or a weird experience we had. I'm going to share a weird experience for me. So, um, as some of you know, the last twelve weeks I've kind of been a single parent. My wife's been finishing up her teaching degree and doing her student teaching in Virginia. Um, I re- uh, probably like a couple months back took a position here in Ohio, um, a ministry position. So I've really been, you know, kind of getting my, into this, working into this position and kind of taking care of my two kids by myself. And, um, so both my kids had school, uh, last Friday and just, I was curious cause I really want to see Black Panther cause I really can't go see movies in the evening cause then I have to find, someone to watch my kids and um i just so happened to see that there was like 11:30 showing at the um at a movie theater at the easton um at the easton mall so i'm like all right cool i can go i can watch the movie and then get out so i can um go get your kids and get out so that i can go pick up my daughter at 2:30. so great so i get there a little bit early i go i they had a they had a 50% off sale on Criterion movies, so I went to Barnes & Noble and did that and was looking at, like, cooking book stuff, and then I kind of walked around the mall and looked at all the Christmas stuff, and, and not necessarily I was shopping for Christmas, but just kind of, like, uh, I think I even bought a game at the game store there. They had a Veterans Day uh, 10% off sale, so I was, like, bought, like, an expansion pack for a game Tokyo. You know, I kind of made the most of my time there, and then finally I get ready to go to uh, the movie theater, and so... Anyway, we get up there, and if you're not familiar with how this movie theater is, there's two escalators. One goes up, one goes down, and that's how you get into the movie theater from this mall. And the exits are, you can go down the escalator to exit, or you can go off to the sides to exit into the mall space. So they open up everything. They turn on the escalator. We start moving up. I go. There's only one person doing the tickets, so he's kind of scanning everyone's tickets, or you could go to the kiosk and get them online and check in get my ticket scanned, go, go wait in concessions. And people are starting to go into the movie theater and get their seats. And and it's an IMAX, um, an IMAX um, experience for this Black Panther Wakanda Forever movie. I'm just now about to get into, the cashier's right about to call me up. And I see all these people start leaving the theater, the, the theater room. And the manager comes out and yells very loudly, I'm sorry, folks. The IMAX projector is not working. It's broken. I'm not sure what's wrong with it. We either we're going to have to refund your money, or you're going to have to try to reschedule a different time, a later showing today, to watch the movie. So it's like, okay. So unfortunately, since I already got my ticket scanned, I couldn't like just do a refund online and say, oh, and hit all the buttons. So I had to go talk to someone to get me to refund. So I'm waiting in line and. You know, a lot of times people are wondering what's happening. More people are going up the escalator. And again, the escalator going down is broken. So everybody's just crammed in this spot right here. So it's very tight, very claustrophobic. If you had agoraphobia, you'd be like, oh, gosh, you would hate this. So then all of a sudden, the manager's doing his best, trying to help people, direct them. Hey, do this. You can get the refund online. If you are here to see another movie in the Black Panther, please come up here so I can scan your ticket so you can go. I mean, it's just, again, and they're short-staffed up there. There There's, like, two people working the tickets, one person working the concession, and then you had the manager who's trying to deal with it. So very chaotic, but I felt the manager was doing the best that he could to try to appease everybody's questions and grumbling and everything else. Well, then all of a sudden there's this guy that shows up, and he's just, like, yelling at the manager and going, blah, 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 you know, this is not fair. You guys shouldn't do this, and he goes, I'm sorry, I can't help it. It's a mechanical issue. It's not like I said you can't watch the movie. You can't watch the movie because the machine doesn't work. So he's getting it. So this guy's arguing with him. Then this guy starts taking out his phone and starts recording the manager, and like is like trying to do pick a fight with him or something. I don't know. And then the manager's like, "Sir, you're not allowed to videotape me. I do not consent to you videotaping me. We also have minors here. You're not allowed to to film me." So they're getting into an argument back and forth. He goes, Sir, I have other customers. You're not the only person that needs to be taken care of. There's a lot of other people that need me to be taken care of. Please, I told you everything you need to know. Please stop recording me. So then the manager just puts his hands up and he just puts it on the guy's phone to block the camera from recording him. And then the guy goes, Did you just hit me? And he's just oh. like, Wow. And then now at this point, the line's slowly moving. At this point, I'm standing right next to them. They're like literally inches away from me, and then that's when he says, "Oh, you want to fight now?" And I'm thinking, "What?" He's like, "I'm going to sue you." And he's like, "Go ahead." And the man just like, "Go ahead and sue me." I've been working here for ten years. I don't care. <laughs> he's like, "Oh my gosh," if the fight breaks out, it's not going to be good because there's a whole lot of upset, angry people right now trying to get through. Well, one of the um, one of the um, guys who's helping to get the tickets and refunds. Started having a panic attack. So the other guy's like, go ahead and leave. So the guy gets, this guy was in a wheelchair. So he starts leaving. So now you have one guy bouncing between the two registers to give refunds to tickets. And then finally that guy goes, next time you put your hands on me, I'm going to send you, I'm going to knock you down to the ground. And finally he left. And I'm thinking, my goodness, but it literally, after the time they said, I hope we can't see the movie, it took me 45 minutes for me to finally get my refund and get out of there. And I Gosh. was just like, and I mean, I understood the understanding. A lot of people just switch their tickets over and it's fine. I understand the frustration, but you just, I don't know. I just don't know what that person was thinking about where they thought that it was just okay to just, well, I'm going to start a fight. And I don't know. And then and that's the thing, like, I don't know why people A want to videotape something like that. Especially I mean, I can understand someone videotaping if there's a fight going down and someone wants to have record of it. Just, you know, some people might film it to put on their TikTok and go, oh, look at this crazy thing to get numbers. I think some people might film it so it says, hey officer, here's what happened and kind of have the whole and have evidence and proof. But someone to start a fight and intentionally film it for themselves and then so they could say, Hey, I'm gonna sue you because of this and this and the way you're talking to me. Treating, and the guy's not, I mean, the guy's loud, but he has to yell to everybody in this large theater about, and had to take care of a uh, multiple different issues and problems. It's like, you know, the guy's, and I could tell, like, even the manager probably had some type of, had some type of disability. I, I, I've assumed because he was, I'm, I'm assuming he might've Asperger's disease, but still like, even if he didn't, even if it was just someone who didn't have a disability, you got to p- treat people with respect. And that's the one thing that just really upset me. It's like, a, I don't want to get caught up into a people starting getting into a fight and I'm stuck in the middle. So I'm glad that didn't happen. But B, why even put yourself or kind of be the person to be the match to start that in the first place in an already stressful, tense situation anyway? I, I don't get it. I, I really don't get that.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy the world that we live in today mm-hmm. and i think you know back to the conversation about like you know losing almost two years of our lives because of covid and uh some people to this day won't even come out and do things like they normally did and you know you add um you know a tense political uh climate in 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 our country and you add um racial division in our country and it's just mm-hmm. a recipe for disaster. And so for people that have, um, you know, not been out for a while or have been out for a while, like, you know, you could literally just rub somebody the wrong way and it, it could just mm-hmm. turn out to to the, to the scenario that you saw Scott. And, and I'm sorry that you had to go through that, but like, it's, uh, another thing, man, that my wife and I noticed, and not that we're even, you know, talking about this today, but like, uh, one of the crazy things that we notice is that people, the way that people drive, I don't know if you've noticed that too, but like, it's like people stayed inside for two years and then all of a sudden they drive their car for the first time in two years and they don't know what a turn signal is, or they, they just stop randomly or they, they pull out in mm-hmm. front of you or like, and it's hard not to have like this, uh, immense amount of road rates. <laughs> <But, laughs> uh, um, yeah. So yeah, I'm sorry that you had to go through that and I, you know, for your listeners, you know, you and I record, you know, a separate podcast with, with Jordan Holstead, who's been on your show before. And uh, we have a group text message and, and you were telling us the story over text. And um, my wife was you know, she came over to my office for lunch that day and she's like, Oh my gosh, what happened to Scott? And I was like, <laughs> I have no idea. And, and in the, in the group chat that we had going on, um, I, I think I sent like a wrestling gif of a wrestler uh, hitting another wrestler with a steel chair, which was kind of probably like your experience. Uh, <laughs> um, my my wife and I, our experience was was the polar opposite. We walked into to a four o'clock showing Thursday afternoon of Wakanda Forever, and there might have been twelve people in the theater, and everybody watched the film, and we went home. So yeah. uh, maybe, maybe, oh boy, you- the luxury of having that. <laughs> maybe you'll get to see that uh in the next couple of weeks who knows yeah hopefully (laughs) it's uh that's crazy i can't believe that happened i mean and at 11 o'clock in the morning no less right like yeah you'd think uh you know i've went to like morning and afternoon showing you know showings at theaters and never you know i might be the only one in the theater It's, it's fine um yeah. So I guess that was your weird story or your bizarre yes, story for Yeah,
0: That was my unusual circumstances of the week.
1: <laughs> that that'll be the new title. That'll be the new title for our Unusual
0: segment. Circumstances. <laughs> yes. Um
1: so I guess for mine, um we it's gonna, you know, it's kind of a broad uh topic, but it's gonna kinda be um what we're gonna talk about today. Um which is which is mental illness, and um, hmm. uh, I haven't shared on on this show, but um, you know, I took a new ministry position around the same time that Scott did. Uh, when did you start in August?
0: I started in August. Yeah,
1: yeah. So you and I started around the same time in August, and um, I took a job as a creative arts pastor in uh, in the community that we live at the church, and um, about two and a half months into it um, I shared with the staff that I just wasn't okay. And, um, what I mean by that is that I just wasn't feeling at peace with the circumstances of the ministry position. And I wasn't feeling settled in the ministry position that I was in. And that goes for me and it goes for my wife. And, um, you know, upon further, uh, I guess, investigation or review of of what was going on. Like, worship was great. My performance was great. The staff was happy with everything that I was doing. Um, I just really felt that I needed to seek counseling and really um, pursue, I don't know if sabbatical is the right term for it, Mm -hmm. but uh, literally taking a break from ministry and, not that I'm not going to do it again, and not that I'm never going to lead worship, uh, but uh, a coworker at Miami told me, who's a believer, said to me, and it was one of the most profound things I've ever heard, and it stuck with me, um, that you need to say no and sit in God's presence. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you need to just say no and sit in God's presence, because I think as pastors, we just, we're just expected to do everything all the time and make everybody else happy, but not make ourselves happy. Um, And so I've really struggled with that over the last decade plus in ministry. Um, I feel like my wife and I have just jumped from ministry to ministry to ministry and not really healed from the previous ministry. Mm -hmm. And um, so Scott, I've talked to you about this offline and I've talked to Jordan about this offline, but I reached out to a, a counselor and um and a co- I think it's actually it's next week's my first appointment and um I I called her a couple of weeks ago and I really felt like it was a holy spirit moment because her voicemail said that she wasn't wasn't accepting new patients at the time and she reached out to me and said hey my son's name's micah and I heard your story over the voicemail and I and I wanted to see you and so Ooh, she agreed to see cool. me and um yeah, so I'm gonna go next week. I don't I don't recall ever going to therapy uh for anything. Mm-hmm. So there's kind of some nerves there. But uh with with the church thing, uh I told the staff I just I just can't right now. And there was kind of like this they're like, Well, what does that mean? I'm like, Well, I don't think I'm able to serve in a ministry role right now in a state of mind that I'm in. I'm perfectly healthy. Mm-hmm. I just think that like with the combination of, uh, I podcast with you in Jordan, I teach a class, I'm taking classes. I'm a, I'm a grad student like you are, Scott, and I'm working full time somewhere else. So something had to give. And so, um, my wife and I are, are, are going to go, um, we've agreed to six months to a year of just not serving and just, just going and sitting and finding a church where we can just truly heal, truly worship, truly be a couple because, We've been married seven years and um, we have served together in pretty much the entire the entirety of uh, of my ministry together in in one way shape or form, whether it's running slides, whether it's running lights whether it's running a live stream, whether it's me leading worship and always running slides like there there are they're just the new you know numerous combinations of things to um, you know to pick the way that we serve so um we told the staff. And it kind of, it kind of ties into a weird story, you know, before, you know, we, we dive into to more about the mental illness thing, but like, and pastors with mental illness. Um, I told the staff, I want to say four weeks ago, five weeks ago that I was going to step down and I told the pastor you know, this is what's going to happen. My wife and I sat down with the pastor and his wife and said, hey, this is how we're feeling. Uh, we would like to step down. And here's the time frame of which we're going to step down. And so uh, I was like, you know, in, in most circumstances, Scott, when you when you resign from a church, you you tell your board, you tell your elders, you tell your staff, you tell you know your teams, and then they let the church know. Um, so I told the pastor, the pastor let the staff know and then there was going to be a board meeting 2 weeks ago and he was like I would lo- I would like you to come and share with the board you know why you're leaving and and, and what's going you know what's going to happen and um so i was going to go share with the board and they canceled the board meeting and i was like well pastor i have to share with my team on sunday like that i'm leaving cuz this is like not yesterday but the, the Sunday before which was last Sunday mm-hmm. and I said I'm I have to tell my team when do you want me to tell the board and he was like uh, don't worry about it I'll, I'll tell the board okay so I told the team last Sunday hey I just want to let you know that I'm gonna step down there's a lot of things um that I'm having to deal with uh personally with with some counseling and um you know dealing with some some woundedness from ministry and my mother's death and some other things in my life that I really just need to process. And I just don't think I'm in a good space to serve in ministry right now. And so I told my team. The team took it really, really well. And then uh, because they moved the board meeting to the following Monday, I had to teach my leadership focus cluster. There was no way that I could go to this board mm-hmm. meeting. And so, you know, last Sunday, I told the team. And then yesterday was my last Sunday. Like yesterday, I was done. Not one word hmm. from the pulpit. Not one word from you know. They didn't tell. I don't. Not to my knowledge, they didn't tell the church. I think the board knows. The staff know. But I led worship yesterday. It was like a normal Sunday. Everything was great. I led worship and I I felt good about the service. You know, I packed up my guitar and packed up some of my things that I, I had at the church. And they said amen. And I walked out of the church and it was like, oh, I guess we're done. Like there was mm-hmm. no. Like, and I don't want to, I you know, my wife and I are not, you know, not ones to, you know, make a big deal about us or things like uh-huh. that. But like, it was like, it was, it was bizarre, like, it, which is appropriate, I think, for this the segment that we're in with the weird stories. But like, yeah. I was like, I was kind of expecting to them to let the church know, like, mm-hmm. it was just, I don't know if the pastor was just stalling from the inevitable. I'm like, I'm like, pastor, i like, I'm leaving tomorrow, like tomorrow's my last day. So um yeah, that was kind of you know, I I wanted to share and be super vulnerable on your show about just
0: yeah.
1: I think the importance of of counseling and the importance of uh pastoral care. And um mm-hmm. we're gonna talk a little bit more about that today. So I'll let you take yeah. it in there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think you 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 bring up a good point. You 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 mentioned how you've you know you've been from ministry to ministry to ministry to ministry and haven't really had the opportunity to heal or even just to kind of process a lot of the stuff and even just the idea of, you know, I'm very excited that you and Alicia, you and your wife are kind of like, oh, I'm going to, we're going to just six months to a year, we're not going to do ministry and we're just going to kind of sit in the presence of God. And I think that's something that, you know, kind of needs to happen too, as well as trying to seek counsel. Um, the thing that I kind of take away from it, and I think this is kind of the start to question is, I think the big question is, why is it that pastors or anybody in ministry has such a weird, and I wouldn't necessarily say a weird relationship with seeing a counselor or going to talk to someone about some of the stuff they're dealing with, um, when I started doing stuff with theater and acting, you know, one of the things that my professor would always tell us as acting students says, you know, every good actor needs a good therapist. Mm. And he mentioned that, and 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 a lot of times is because the idea is if you are doing stuff on the stage, you know, if you're getting into character and doing that, you're you're going to bring a lot of stuff in your personal life onto the stage as a character and as you're Acting and doing stuff, sometimes you're kind of doing this self counseling, self seeking, self processing, yeah, self soothing thing. Um, so obviously, you need to kind of talk about it, and because you don't know what where to go with some of the stuff you may be coming out to on stage. Plus, you know, acting's not even though we see like actors make billions of dollars in Hollywood and stuff, majority of that people are working as actors and different cities, different towns, and they're not making big money. Sometimes they're working a second job or maybe even a third job. And sometimes if they're married, sometimes that kind become a strain on their marriages. So there's a lot of things to talk about. And I think even when you look at the role of pastors, you know, you are speaking in front of an audience. You do have to do a lot of prep to prepare a sermon, to prepare a message, um, to communicate to people you're building relationships with people um and in some ways i kind of see the theater and even just kind of a pastor's role in the church kind of very similar in some ways except in ministry sometimes the pastor is not only the person up stage who has to kind of run everything as far as the speaking but you might be the pastor who's doing the playing the speaking the media and everything else. So basically, if you think about all the different roles of a stage in the theater, sometimes you can have one person as pastor doing all those different things. So and especially in those moments, it's especially important that you go and talk to somebody about it. And I'm just always curious on why that seems to be kind of a, a thing that's not on pastor's radar to actually intentionally seek out somebody, a counselor, to process or speak about some things in ministry?
1: I think part of it is that there's this preconceived notion that pastors are invincible Mm -hmm. and they also serve as a counselor for some, uh, pastoral care and offer pastoral care for their congregants. And, you know, you know, I've done premarital counseling for, for weddings that I've done, um, you know, offered some advice, you know, I've, We've all, we've all offered advice to each other, you and me together, you and Jordan and I, <laughs> you, you to your friends, me to my friends. Like it's, uh, you know, I kind of look at it this way, Scott, like, uh, Dr. Brickner is my chiropractor. Mm-hmm. Dr. Brickner is an amazing man of God. And he's also an amazing chiropractor, but he, all, he always tells me, he's like, I'm only as good as when I practice what I preach. And what I mean by that is that he goes and sees a chiropractor regularly. He's like, without Mm -hmm. chiropractic, I wouldn't be able to treat people. And as many people as I do without taking care of myself. Um, and I think the same goes for, for any profession. Like if you're not seeking, you know, if, if I'm a, I don't know, a heart doctor and I'm not taking care of my heart, like it's kind of pointless, right? Like a cardiologist isn't going to eat like a, a big fat, bag of potato chips right in front of a person that needs a triple bypass right like it's um i think it's common sense but i think there's also this like i said said it before but this preconceived notion that like you know just because pastors are preaching the word of god and they believe in the word of god doesn't mean that preaching and that responsibility and the weight of the world on your shoulders doesn't take a a, you know take a toll on your body both physically and mentally and Mm so um I think it's absolutely crucial, like if you're gonna serve long term in a ministry to to get help and it and it doesn't have to be help necessarily it just has to be uh therapy can be something of just getting stuff off of your plate off of your mind off of your heart and uh I think there's a lot of uh there's a lot of burnout there's a lot of uh i mean I don't know what the stat is for for ministry uh or for for ministry people scott or pastors in general <laughs> but like uh, I heard a couple of years ago that the rate of suicide is through the roof for pastors um and part of that is because they don't seek the proper help and they're uh you know maybe like I it's just I think it's common sense when when it all boils down to the conversation we're having today because like if your marriage is in shambles scott like how can you offer marriage counseling to a couple that's getting ready to get married? Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If your spiritual life is in, 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 you know, disarray, how can you lead people to Jesus and baptize them? Right. Like there, there's just like, you know, and I think too, and this, and, and I feel like we pick on the generation before us a lot, but like, I think there's this mindset that like, Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. I don't need to go get counseling. Well, Maybe you do, and maybe you would be better off in the later years of your ministry as a result.
0: Yeah, and, and and even to piggyback on that, the you know, speaking about older generations, you know, there's a time where you see back especially within America, like mental health was kind of frowned upon and looked was really looked down upon. Like there's a document, it's one of the weirdest documentaries I've ever seen called Haxon, And it kind of is this silent film that takes place and it looks at like witchcraft throughout the world and even in America. And it's all like kind of recreated, acted out. But then towards the end of the movie, you start seeing these women in these mental hospitals being treated the same way as these like women at the Salem witch trials and for women who had mental health. And it it was just such an interesting dynamic. Uh, view where it kind of talked about how, you know, the thing is, is when it comes to mental health, especially in the early days, in the early days of America and even just civilization, uh, before we started getting people like Sigmund Freud and, um, and, um, oh, Carl Rogers and Fritz Pearl and all these other like count loved counselors, um, who've kind of helped shape the way, um, our modern way of counseling is like, it was always looked down upon. And if you had something going on with you or you were, or I think even in some ways it's like, well, if I don't have schizophrenia or bipolar, bipolar two or any of these like really chronic mental disorders, if I'm just dealing with, you know, if I'm dealing with a little bit of depression or a little bit of anxiety, you know, it's okay. You know, I'll just deal with it because you know, a good sleep or good cup of coffee is going to take care of it um which is not always the case um and i think when you know you talked about you know pastors being kind of this um invincible in some ways i do i think a lot of times pastors kind of have this messiah complex where you know they feel like that well i can't go see someone and talk about all my struggles because i have to kind of be the poster child of what christ likeness is and apparently christ likeness means that you know, I gotta be, you know, don't drink, don't smoke, be a goody two shoes. But especially, you know, if I'm dealing with any issues or burdens, I gotta carry that to the cross or I gotta lay it at the feet of Jesus. And it, it's Jesus that can take care of that. And I think there's a, been a lot of bad theology within the Christian denominations over the years where we have kind of put so much emphasis that, well, God's the only one that can heal both physical and mental. Issues. So when someone is struggling with something, well, it's, we'll give it to God, lay it at his feet, and God will help you through that process instead of versus, I need to go talk to someone. And, and kind of where I've kind of landed on with, um, and again, this is this more of my mindset of how I look at scriptures. But when I look at the role of Jesus, we only see Jesus times where he sees well, he went away to talk to the Father. He went into the mountains. He, he was in isolation talking to the Father. And a lot of times I view that as, A, Jesus was intentionally taking time to sit, to be still, and to really have conversations with the Father. It's like, man, I wish Jesus would have brought someone in there to kind of write down what Jesus was saying to the Father. Because, I mean, I, I can only imagine some of the things he would be saying, giving praise to the Father, loving on Father God. I'm sure there's times where Jesus was saying, man, it's hard being here, you know, being on earth and experience all the people who are sick, all the disease, all the things that. And I think a lot of times in ministry, just having somebody to go and talk to and saying, hey, I'm really struggling with this and I need to talk about it. And it goes back to another point you said about, you know, making sure you practice what you preach. And My homiletics professor at Ashland was Marvin A. McMickle who wrote a lot of different books on preaching and he always says, you know, if you're struggling with something, let's say if you're struggling with alcoholism, don't be preaching against alcoholism from the pulpit. You know, if you're struggling with um, pornography, don't be preaching about don't be preaching about lust in and being anti-pornography from the pulpit, because if you're struggling with something and you're preaching the opposite, then it's, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're almost in a way, you're kind of setting yourself up for failure if any of this stuff ever gets found out, and I think it's the same way. Don't be talking about, oh, just give everything to God, and, and, and talk about how mental health is not important, or, you know, it's just, or whatever a lot of weird pastors preach about against mental health, because a lot of times when you see that and you say something like that and you're struggling with stuff, I think in some ways it's okay to be vulnerable a little bit saying, hey, I do struggle with with some things um, and I do need help sometimes. And I think that's the big thing: is that even in scriptures, there's a lot of people who needed help, and Jesus was not only was Jesus there to help, but then Jesus also commanded his disciples, "You need to go, and you need to help as well."
1: Yeah, and back to the the mental health, um, the stat that I was trying to look up earlier, I found I just did a quick Google search, and I said, um, Faith like Faith Life conducts a survey on mental health of pastors, and in uh, July of 21, it said that more than one and ten pastors admitted to contemplating suicide in the past year.
0: Yep, I, yeah, absolutely. Which is I, I just agree with that.
1: stunning. Mm-hmm. And how yeah. many of those sought counseling or, or or you know sought help?
0: Yeah, and 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 I think that, yeah, and I and, and I think it's, that's the thing. I think a lot of, and I think the other issue on why pastors don't get help because pastors do everything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's something, there's a difference between, oh, I got to go see my doctor once a year or twice a year, or I got to go see a dentist twice a year, or even I got to go and see a chiropractor once a week. It's like pastors are okay to say, I can allow that to happen. But the moment you say, okay, I need to go and see a counselor once a week, or sometimes depending on the initial session and where you're at and what's going on. Now it's like, okay, well, maybe you have to do two sessions and not just two hour sessions, but we might have to do two two hour sessions because we really got to unpack a lot of stuff because you've been holding on to a lot of healing, hurt. So there's, so there's that aspect of it. So it's like, well, I don't want to commit the time to go see somebody because I don't want someone to tell me that there's something wrong with me when I'm, highly, I'm a highly functioning, capa- capable adult. I think Mm -hmm. the second thing that most people don't want to do go to counseling is that if you do go to counseling and you're talking and all of a sudden you start finding out stuff about you or you start unpacking a lot of these layers of hurts, it's something in the counseling world which we call flooding, which means that all these repressed memories or repressed things that have happened are now start going to come to the forefront. Because again, the way our brain works, and this is more of a, a brain science thing, because a lot of times the way our brain works is that when we experience any type of pain or trauma, a lot of the times our brains will set up these roadblocks in our neural pathways to prevent us to access those memories. So we kind of, in a way, in our mind, we kind of block it out. We numb that pain a little bit. So then as counseling happens, even though the brain's blocked this up, the neural pathways are trying to make create new pathways to try to tap into that memory, to expose it, in order for people to be healed from it. Because the only way you can heal from something, especially in mental health, is to really tackle those things head on. And if you're, so there's also that fear, um, that what happens if I start hitting these memories, and all of a sudden, this fires up, this fires up, and all these things start firing up that Mm-hmm. kind of repressed if someone's repressed and now it's starting to flood and now you're like now you, you become a highly functional pastor that does everything to now you just have to really sit and deal with your stuff or maybe you have to say okay i can no longer be in charge of all this stuff i have to have people do this for me because i cannot do it anymore and then i think the third thing is there's always a fear of like the person that you're putting your trust in as a counselor, the uh counselor client uh relationship. And, you know, if you're going to talk to somebody, you know, you want to make sure, okay, can I trust this person? And if I trust this person, you know, are they going to give me the right information or are they just going to say, okay, here's a prescription, here's medicine, here's medicine, here's medicine. And, you know, that's a whole nother topic of things I don't want to get down the road to, but, you know, there's also that thing of like, Hey, Are they just giving medicine just to cope with my issue? Or are they giving medicine as a way to help me cope? But then the counseling sessions are helping me heal. So then eventually I can now get off the medicine. And I think that's kind of a big, a big thing too. So I think there's a lot of factors that go into why pastors don't want to, because either way, a lot of it's going to boil down to how is this going to affect my performance at church? And again, if my performance is being, if my performance is being affected at church, then either a, there's going to be a self-view of me saying, okay, I'm not living up to the standards, the high standards I put on myself, and I don't know if I can hit the standards that my elder board or the church has expectations of me. And I think that's kind of another battle that you have to deal with when it comes to why pastors don't seek out mental health. What are your thoughts about all that stuff? I said, Like I rambled on a little bit too long on that.
1: <laughs> no, it's good. I, I you know, uh, one other thing I think I want to add to that is I think if you're a small church and you're the only pastor that's doing everything, like you're saying, Scott is, um, having a moment in time where they, they need to seek counseling or they need to seek help. Um, I think one of the biggest fears is how the church is gonna to respond to that mm-hmm. you know, depending on where you're at depending on on the grace of your church and the grace culture of your church um the um, the response may be different. some churches would be you know with 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 arms wide open to the idea of you seeking counseling and they want you to be your best self. Not every church is going to share that mindset. And um, yeah. So I think you have to be mindful of how the church is going to respond and in and, and response to your question. Um, and I think there's a lot of fear there as far as um, pastors seeking out help because of that, um, because they're afraid again of the response of their congregants. So, um, cause I think like, you know, even if you're perfectly healthy, like Scott, you could be like, well, I need to go seek help. But the church's response could be, well, if he needs to go, he or she needs to go seek help. How are they going to help me? Right. Mm -hmm. Like people are selfish, right? Like we're selfish. We're humans. We're selfish. And so that's, that could be the people's response, but you know, you could hope and pray that the church is going to respond accordingly. Um, I know of a pastor recently and I won't you know, share his name for privacy issue, you know, privacy Mm -hmm. uh, reasoning. But last year he, he deals with a lot of anxiety and depression. And he's the lead pastor of a smaller church in our community. And he literally stepped down for three months and the church was just so graceful and they continued to pay him. They continued to pay for his, his therapy. They continued to pay for his, like the man like was crippled. By anxiety and depression, like to the mm. point of where he checked himself into a mental hospital. Yeah. And he um, you know, and I and I called and, you know, I I know him and his wife very well. And, you know, I said, Hey, we're praying for you. If you need anything, just please let us know. And um, you know, I was able to fill in and lead worship one week for him. And um, they have another guy who's a great uh he's a hospice chaplain, but he used to be the pastor of that church years ago. And he um he filled in for three months and they got him the help that he needed. And he's a lot better now. Um, but that's an example of like how, um, how a church should respond with, with the love and the grace of, of God as we're called to. Um, but I think to answer your question overall, like a lot of pastors are afraid of the response of their church. You know, yeah. What if they think I'm crazy? You know, what if they, <laughs> what if, what if, what if they can't help me? You know, what if they can't do their job? What if they can't preach anymore? What if they, you know, but that goes along with the, the demand of, of ministry, right? Yeah. Especially if you're a single pastor in a, in a church where you don't have other staff or other volunteers to mm-hmm. to handle some of the workload and responsibility. By the way, you have to write 52 sermons a year. By the way, you have to go visit people. By the way, you have to go to the hospital and do hospital visits. By the way, you have to do funerals and weddings and all the outreach events at the church and, you know, make people happy and go to board yeah. meetings. And by the way, if you're married and have kids, you know, you have to be a good parent and a good husband. Like there is a huge expectation of pastors that people don't get.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that's the big thing. It's the expectation. And I think what people need to understand is that, yeah, if your pastor has to check out, or your pastor has to take time, whether it's a couple days a week or once a week, to go seek counseling. That's not something. And then you could look at it as, oh, well, now they're getting help, so we're going to look at that negative. Or you could see it as what it's supposed to be, which is a positive, meaning that you're now going to have an effective pastor that can actually do the ministry that God has called him or her to do. because. Because they are kind of getting, you know, they're getting recalibrated. They're kind of getting fixed. They're kind of, in a way, getting their mind checked um, to get that, you know, to kind of get in the way that God designed them to be. And, you know, I'll, I'll speak about my own personal thing. You know, when I when I resigned from my the church I was pastoring in Virginia, I mean— I told my wife that I was going to go to this um, come away with me retreat that's put on by um, Healing Care International Ministries. And it's I found out about it from my time in Ashland. And actually, one of my professors is kind of the director of this. And I'm like, OK, I'm going to do that. It's like a week. Get away. You get away for a week and it's just a week intensive counseling. You have group counseling with other people that are there and then you have your one on one counseling and they have a program where you have a time of worship and you do all this stuff. And I mean, it was like, I was, it was a great thing for me to just sit there, be in the presence of God. But at the same time, it was also good for me to, to go talk to somebody and say, here's what has happened to me. Here was my experience. Here's the hurt and pain that I've experienced. And I need to let this out. And basically it was, I mean, I felt like, I mean, you know, God bless the person who was with me, because literally I was dumping about seven years of pain. And even not only that, but then even during that time of not only dumping out pain, I was even finding more stuff about myself as far as like, you know, how I approach ministry and how, you know, my experience at camp ministry and just being on all the time, from the time I wake up to the time I sleep, how a lot of those bad camp patterns that I've been that I installed in ministry how much that played in my pastoral ministry and how that had affected my work life my physical health and even my relational health with my wife and my kids and it was just like oh oh wow like instantly like it was like the light bulb went off the 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 thing the thing exploded my mind it was like oh wow so I need to Make sure wherever I'm serving next, that has to be a priority. I have to make sure this is a priority and basically tell people, hey, I'm sorry, I cannot do this because I am going to go to my son's recital. I'm not going to go there, watch him sing and then cut out so I can go back and preach to teach Bible study and not even say good job, son. You know, because there was a couple times I had to do that because I needed to get back. And again, that's not the church's fault, because I don't think that was the expectation of the church for me to get back and do that. That was my expectation of myself that I needed to do that because that was the mark of a good pastor. And that was a bad that was faulty thinking that I needed to fix. And I think that's the other problem with counseling is that. You know, you're going to find, You could go in there, you can say, I've experienced this hurt, this hurt, this hurt, this hurt, and then you're going to find out, okay, let's heal this hurt, let's talk about this hurt, process it, and then in the middle of processing it, you're going to find out, oh, I've been holding on to this nugget, or there's this dysfunction I have in ministry, that's part of me, and it's my issue because of the way I was trained, the way I was taught, or even sometimes things that I experienced as a kid. And and I'll give an example because this is no secret, but I hate, I always want to be on time for everything to the point where I show up to places at half an hour before something starts. And a lot of that was growing up in my family. My dad was always like, hey, if you want to make a good impression on people, you always it's better for you to show up early to things. So... I go to classes, and even if my class started at eight ten, I was in sitting in class at seven forty. I was there before the professor was even there, waiting for class to start. And now, and, and especially now, like if me and my, in how that tr- per- translate is like if I'm late to something, already my anxiety is through the roof. Mm-hmm. Or like you know, with Thanksgiving coming up, and we're gonna we're gonna go visit people, we're gonna go visit my family. If I'm thinking, okay, kids, and, and Lauren, we are going to be leaving at 9 o'clock in the morning to get to my parents' house at 11 o'clock. And the minute we do not leave at 9 o'clock in the morning, it could be 9 5 by the time everyone's in the car and we're pulling out of the driveway, I start getting I, – I turn into an entirely different person for those five minutes. Even before even before nine. If I'm in the car and I'm ready to go and no one's there, I'm honking the horn. I'm like, I'm like turning green. I'm turning into the Hulk, and it was like, and my wife was just like, "You need to chill, dude. (laughs) You need to take a chill pill." And and, and it's to a point where it's like, okay, I recognize where that comes from. I know, and I know how me acting like that, how that has caused issues within my own family. And in my health, and that's something that I have to be okay with, that not, we're not always going to start. And even sometimes my wife would go, you know, we would leave at 9 o'clock if you actually were getting out in the car at 8.50 and sitting in the car for 10 minutes. If you're actually here helping us get everybody ready, we'd actually be in the car maybe a little bit before 9 and leaving. But you you go sit out the car, minutes 4, and it's like, oh, yeah, I do do that. That's weird. <laughs> yeah, but I'm um, cheating on myself. I'm, I'm tattling on myself and all my issues.
1: <laughs> well, it's it's funny because it's the I I kind of feel the same way, and I've always been on time to things, and you know, early is on time. On time is late. Late is unacceptable. Um, it's you know, it's legit a a struggle for me, um, and you know, I think, and I think I shared this, we, we did the episode on service flow. I think it was last Mm -hmm. week. Mm -hmm. And, um, when things don't go on time in a service, it just throws me completely off. Like, you know, there are things in place and systems in place. And I think part of that too, is like, if you, you want a routine and you want your church people to be on a routine and you train those people to be in that same routine, then, you know, things are going to go well. Right. And, uh, for people that are that kind of personality, like you or I, uh, we tend to struggle when things um, go awry. And so um, I think that's changed a lot in the last couple of years for me. And I don't know what's, well, I do know, um, you know, I used to be, I used to be so wound tight as far as, you know, we got to be on time to a certain place. Like, we've made these plans. We need to to do this. But I think, um, I think the passing of my mother um, and losing my job all in the same year kind of really made me put my life into perspective and, and appreciate the time that I do have with, with my wife and uh, being home and, you know, growing up in a pastor's home and growing, you know, my wife growing up in a military home, we moved a lot. So like for us now, we enjoy sitting at home. We don't want to travel all the time. We don't want to go there. You know, we want to spend time with each other. We want to enjoy the the house to which the mortgage that we pay. <laughs> and so, yeah. I think uh, there's a lot. There's been a lot of healing for me in that respect because I think when I was working two jobs, you know, back in 2020, and the church that I was at was very, very demanding of my time. When COVID happened, I, you know, I really realized, say that fast, really realized how burnout, um, I was and I didn't, it's like something just clicked in my brain, Scott. Like, I don't have to, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to stress about the little things anymore. I'm not going to, to worry and uh, fret about people being late or something just not going, my way um, there are way worse things and a lot of people like even at work at miami like somebody somebody asked me a couple weeks ago like are you upset about that and i'm like well if that's the worst thing that happens to me today then that's we're going to be okay right cuz there there's way worse things in life that that happen to us and that we can't control um kind of you know i don't know if you want to talk more about it but kind of as we wrap up um my my first ever class in seminary at Anderson um, was with Dr. Guy Brewer. I don't know if you ever had him for anything, no. anything. But he he is an amazing, 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 amazing man. And I can't say amazing enough. But um, he's one of those guys that uh, you'd be walking down the hall in the seminary. And he'd be like, hey, Scott, come in here. And <laughs> you walk in there and he'd be like, sit down. And he's like, tell me about your, tell me about your wife. Tell me about your kids. Tell me about how your life is going. And you'd be like, well, Dr. Brewer, things are great. He's like, no, tell me how you're really doing.
0: Mm-hmm. Like he'd
1: be one of those people that really want to pour into your life and, and, and see how you're doing. But anyway, the first class I took in seminary was pastoral care. And it was with Dr. Brewer. And we we all walked in and I was nervous because it was my first class and it was my first seminary class. And he, he was like, if you've got a Bible, turn it open to John chapter five. And so we did. And it was the, the healing of the pool or the healing of the pool on the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. And, um, and John five, uh, you know, the first thing that Dr. Brewer asked us, he was like, before we even, you know, look at the syllabus before we even, um, you know, get to know each other, I have one question for you. And I was like, and everybody was like, okay. And his question was, do you want to be well? And that has stuck with me to this day. And, mm-hmm. you know, in John chapter five, uh, verse six and verse eight, it says, Do you want to be healed? Jesus, this is Jesus talking to the paralytic. Do you want to be healed? And then verse eight, it says, Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed and walk. Um, and it goes on to say in verse nine, and at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and he walked. And so, um, I ask that to myself all the time. And I think that's, you know, kind of the direction I'm heading with my life in the next couple of months and, you know, into the next year. Um, I want to be well. I want to be the best version of myself I can be. And I want others to, to share that same joy and that same freedom that come as a result of pastoral care. So. I don't know if you have any more you want to add to that, that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, and I
0: think I think I think just to kind of <laughs> quickly wrap up my final my final thoughts cuz I mean the other thing I was thinking about like, you know, when looking for a counselor, do you find a Christian counselor? Do you find a non-Christian counselor? Oh. And I, yeah. or, or even or even if, or even do you just go and find a good trusted pastor who has a counseling degree like I do. Um and, and 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 kind of my response is and kind of piggybacking off what you said about you know do you want to be well I think that's going to be kind of the best gauge of where you're going to go I mean the benefit about seeing a Christian counselor is they kind of know they know the they know the Christian life especially if they're someone who's a Christian counselor they used to be a pastor or they served the ministry they know the the demand of ministry so mm-hmm. they can kind of say okay yeah let's talk about that so. Um, at the same time, you know, you could find a Christian counselor and they could get into the whole um, Christianese culture of like, well, you know, God never said ministry was going to be easy. And it's like, okay, yeah, I get that, but that's not helping me. You know, that's not helping me process some of my hurt. That's not helping me be well. That's not helping me maybe uncover some dysfunctions that I've kind of learned from growing up or, you know, how my dad's saying, hey, you know, if you want to make a good impression, you got to show up to place on time. How that one phrase and that one moment of time has stuck with me, and has st- can become a major dysfunction in my life. About like showing up to places ridiculously early. Um, you know, it's stuff like that where you know, if you want to be well, a good counselor is going to dig and uncover that, and especially if you find somebody who. Again, you know, a lot of times a good counselor, if they follow by the code of what a good counselor is, a good counselor is always going to do what's best for their clients, Mm -hmm. whatever the client wants. So if the client wants to be well, then you as a counselor needs to do things to be well and not just say like, oh, well, you know, you know, let go and let God like (laughs) that's not making me be well. Um. Even though there's is some truth to that, there is something where you're going to have to put in the work and the effort. And I think, as far as a counselor, and this, and this is more for pastors who are debating, you're only going to get as much out of counseling as what you put in. Yeah. It's just like with anything in life. If you put in the training to practice, and you're practicing playing basketball all the time on your home court, you're going to practice before, during, and after doing drills, then you're going to be a good basketball player. So if you really want to be well, if you want the counseling, you have to put in, so you have to kind of come into a, the more you open up and you're transparent with the counselor, the better experience you're going to have. And the quicker your healing process is going to begin because you're really going to be able to help unpack a lot of the layers and some of the hidden things in your mind that, you know, that you've been holding on to. You're going to be, uh, let go, and it's kind of like, and like I'm think, sure as a chiropractor, someone who goes to a chiropractor regularly, I'm sure there's times that when the chiropractor hits those tension spots in your spine or in your back, and it, you hear that crack or you hear or you feel that movement, that you could probably feel a lot of that pressure coming off your body, and you kind of feel like a little bit looser, you feel better after seeing a chiropractor. Um, I'm assuming, and I think the same things like counseling, if you can go and you can be open and honest and allow that, then that's going to take a lot of those layers of pressure off your mind to kind of give you the healing that, that, you know, that you, that we all desperately need. And that's what counselors are there for. Um, and, and, and speaking as a counselor too, um, from an ethical standpoint, you know, counselors probably have one of the strict, strictest ethical codes that you have to be. So if you're worried about, well, I don't want to see a counselor because they're, especially as a pastor, well, I don't want to talk about all this stuff I'm struggling with. And then all of a sudden it's going to go to someone at my church. Like if there's a break in confidentiality in a counselor-client relationship, then you can can no longer be licensed as a counselor because that is something that they take very seriously. So, you know, just for pastors out there who may be struggling with that, you don't have to worry about that because there is a strict code in the ACA about that. But yeah, that yeah. is, oh, go ahead, Micah.
1: No, I was going to say quickly that um, the counselor that I'm going to see starting next week, I asked her, I was like, are you a, are you a Christian counselor? And she was like, no, I'm a counselor. That's a Christian. <laughs> like I she, believed, like she, and like, she's like, I have treated pastors, but like, if you're looking for a specific, you know, specifically a Christian counselor, then, I'm not a Christian counselor. I'm a counselor that's a Christian and I understand Christianity and faith. And I've treated many pastors, you know, of that background, but she was like, I want to preface with that. And if that's not what you're looking for, then I'm not your person, but uh, I do believe I can help you and walk you through some of those things. So just to kind of add to what you were saying.
0: That's wonderful. I think that's great. Well, friends, thank you so much for listening to this uh, episode. I hope this has uh, helped you um, process. If you're a pastor and you maybe you're struggling with a lot of issues or you're carrying a lot of past hurts for ministry and you're kind of shy about, you know, pulling the trigger on actually seeking professional help. We definitely hope that this has helped you make that decision. Uh, if you have any other questions or comments or any mail you'd like to send us, go ahead and visit my website, dscottstemon.com go ahead and send me an email there, or you could just write something in the comments or send us in the messages, both on my Facebook page or even on YouTube or, or wherever you're listening to us, just feel free to reach out. And uh, we hope to uh, bring another uh, great episode to you next week. Take care. <laughs>